We're all painfully aware that much of our life consists of events and environments that try to limit us, discourage us, and choke out our hope. The easiest route is to give up, but it's not the only road. Even in the midst of these hostile surroundings, not only can you survive, you can grow, you can live, you can thrive and thrive. Hey, good morning. And it's happy, first of all, happy Father's Day to all you dads and grandfathers here. And uh, hope you hope you feel the love. We're in a brand new series right now called, yeah, one more time. Drive. I love the word because all my life I've heard people say, I'm a survivor. And I, I think I understand what they mean by that. But for me, that's never enough. I don't want to be a survivor. I want to be a thriver. I want to be somebody who, by the grace of God, has a successful life, even though I may be surrounded by broken things. And like we talked about last week, if you feel like part of your life is dysfunctional, please don't think that you're sitting on a, an island of dysfunction surrounded by a sea of functionality. The truth of the matter is, this is a dysfunctional world. It is a broken world. But for the next five weeks, in fact, throughout this series, it's going to be my privilege to go back in history and take a look at the life of a young man who lived a functional life in a dysfunctional world, and the outcome of that is going to be that I'm going to be able to stand before you and show you how you can live a functional, successful life in a broken world. Last week, we started working a concept. Today, we're kicking it up to a whole nother level because what we're going to talk about today is the juice that you're going to need to lead a functional life in a dysfunctional world, and you are going to need some juice. And some of you have said already from the beginning, well, of course, duh, Mark, I know that. What I'm going to need is money. I need the juice that money brings. Well, as you and I know, we've watched this economy the last eight months. Money can dry up and blow away by the trillions of dollars, Right? Others have said, well, you know, I need the juice that comes from a, a scintillating appearance. I am a very, you know, handsome guy, a very beautiful woman. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been to the cosmetic surgeon, surgeon and I've had this added, had this taken away. And um, I, I know how to present myself in such a way to just knock everybody's eyes out. Well, some of us our age, my age can tell you that whatever you've got will go away someday, and you're going to need more than that. Others will say, well, yeah, I need juice, Mark. I get the juice that comes from knowing the right people. I I kiss up to people I don't even like so that they'll like me and promote me and put me in the right place. But in the economy we're in right now, some of the right people have gotten laid off, right? So here's the great thing about what we're going to be talking about today, the kind of stuff that you need to be successful in a broken world. There's a word that started getting used back the last time we had this discussion about national health care. I remember it from the mid-90s. It was a sort of strange word, and it stuck with me. The word was portability. You know, because they were, looking, they were trotting out all kinds of different kinds of health care. And I remember the question was, does this particular way, or thinking, way of thinking for health care, is it portable? And, and what the question meant was this. If somehow your career dried up and blew away, and you had to start over again from scratch in a whole other area, could you take your health coverage and go from that scenario to another scenario? Was it portable? Well, here's the great thing. Oftentimes, money is not portable. Money can blow away. Job situations and careers are not always portable. But what I'm going to be talking about today is totally portable. You can take it with you wherever you go because the source is God. What you need to lead a successful life in a broken world is the favor of God. Favor is so important. 
What favor is, is God pouring out opportunity and blessing and enablement upon you so that you can face any situation in life. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because throughout your life, and I think all of us do at least to some extent, you you were in a situation that everything fell apart on you. Maybe your home fell apart. Maybe your marriage fell apart. But what you discovered was you were able to take the favor of God and go to a whole new place. For others of you, your career blew away. You went to work one day at the factory, and they told you that you didn't work there anymore. But what you've discovered is the favor of God can go with you to your next situation. That is the important thing of this blessing of God's favor. And last week we said that our character, Joseph, who we've been talking about and will be talking about for the next five weeks, Joseph experienced the favor of God upon his life in an extraordinary way. I do hope you'll go home and read his story, Genesis 37 through chapter 50. For for basically 13 years of Joseph's life, from the time he was 17 till the time he was 30, he had pretty much a series of of unfortunate events in his life, a lot of bad stuff that happened to him. And yet, by the time he is 30 years of age, he will be the most powerful man on the planet. In fact, here's my gut. I think outside of Jesus Christ, probably Joseph had the greatest influence on the whole world of any human being who lived. And if you read his story, you'll see why I, I, I maintain that. There was a point in Joseph's life where he was raised up to be the man with the strategy, the man with the plan, the guy who was basically running Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful country in the world. And in those days, there was an incredible famine. Without Joseph's wisdom, without his smarts, without his ingenuity, without his strategy, I believe pretty much the known world would have starved to death. Phenomenal character. God will take him from being a slave, having been sold by his brothers who hated his guts. He will, God will take Joseph from being a slave to the absolute pinnacle of power by the time he is 30 years of age. Everything around him will lie broken in pieces, and yet Joseph will rise to the top, and every time something goes wrong, God's favor will be portable in his life, and it will follow him all the way to the top. I want that. I want you to have that. If you've experienced God's favor, there's a question that comes along, and it's the one that you and I are going to tackle today, and that is this. Can favor be lost? If God pours out his favor on our lives, can we lose that favor? let's take it a whole different direction. Can we ramp it up? If favor is the juice that allows us to go to the top, is it possible for us to have a bigger slice? Can we have more of God's favor? Or maybe the most important, most salient question I'm going to ask today is, are there moments of destiny in our lives that lead us in a tipping, to a tipping point, either a reverse tipping point where everything falls apart and we lose God's favor, or to a positive tipping point where we go on to blinding earth-shaking success. Those are the topics that we're going to tackle today, and we're going to have a great time because what we're going to discover is God wants to pour his favor out on you. God wants to take you places. God wants you to fulfill the absolute pinnacle of his destiny for your life. He is going to give you the juice if we don't lose it and if we don't fritter it away. Let's take the story. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I want to read a whole chapter to you. I want to read Genesis 39, because this is the story of a tipping point in Joseph's life. Eventually, Joseph will rise to the top, and he will run the world. But it's all going to be settled in a moment that doesn't seem like a victory. 
I was doing a sermon here earlier this year. I don't even remember which one it was. You know how I am. When I get a new series, I kind of forget what I said in the past. But uh, I remember doing a series, doing a, a message on stage here. And I remember what, I think it was in the Change series. And I had said to you that oftentimes victories are won at moments that don't feel like victories. And I even talked about, you know, where I'm from in Texas, how that uh, on paper, the deciding battle of the independence war for Texas was, was at a place called San Jacinto. But nobody wants to go to San Jacinto. Everybody wants to go to the Alamo. But everybody died at the Alamo. But it was the battle that bought time that won the victory. In other words, the great, the decision was basically made at what looked like a losing battle. Today, what we're going to discover is that Jacob's ticket to the top was punched at this moment that doesn't feel like a victory. Let's read about it. That way, when I talk about it, you can say, yeah, we read about that just a moment ago. Genesis chapter 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was probably one of the top two or three most powerful men in the world. He was overall the military. Probably the closest thing we would have to it, to it today would be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But he would be a government employee. He would not have had the wealth that Potiphar enjoyed. Potiphar had mansions. He had lands, crops. He had herds. He was an extraordinarily, blindingly wealthy man. You know, Joseph's brother said, we're going to finish this kid off. We're going to sell him. They'll kill him. But notice how that God had him bought by this important, wealthy guy. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. I like this next part. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Somebody is always trying to get Joseph's coat. (laughs) When she saw that she was holding his cloak and that he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. And then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But I screamed. When I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. 
Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his unfaithful love, or his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Let me talk to you about how favor works. Like we saw last week, favor starts when God looks on your heart or your attitude and he sees something inside of you that makes him feel like he can trust you. If God looks on the heart of somebody with a good attitude, you may not have been a God follower for very long, you may not understand much about the Bible, but you just have a heart and a sweet attitude. If God finds that attitude inside of you, he will begin to trust you with things. And with favor comes access, access. Can you imagine Joseph as a 17-year-old boy being trottled off to Egypt? He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the culture. He doesn't know how they do business. He doesn't know anything. His only experience in life is being the fair-haired boy in a family with 10 older brothers who hated his guts, and all they did was basically run sheep. And now all of a sudden, he's in a totally different place. He's in the most sophisticated environment in the world. He's surrounded by wealth and opulence. He has no background background for any of it. And beyond that, he is the lowest person on the entire property. I am sure that one of the first statements or one of the first sentences that Joseph heard in Egyptian was, don't touch that. Don't touch that. You can't touch that. You don't have access to it. All you have access to is the trash can and cleaning the barns. You don't have access. You can't touch that. No doubt there were parties, you know, where there was steak grilling out there, you know, and shrimp cocktails and oysters on the half shell, potato salad, chocolate cake, all my favorites. And Joseph was watching as all that stuff was out there and people were eating it and I'm sure he was starving, you know, he was just being fed enough to keep him alive. And he watched as people were eating that and, and I'm sure his the guy who was his boss came and slapped him around and said, hey, get your eyes off that. You can't have that. You can't touch that. Forget about it. Forget about it. It's not for you. On those hot Egyptian days when he could get 105 in the shade, and there was that shimmering huge pool out there behind the mansion, and, and all the beautiful people were out there swimming and diving and sunning out there, and Joseph looked at that crystal clear water out there, and he thought, wow, it feels so good to get in there. There would be people who would say, hey, get your eyes off that boy. You can't be out there. That's not for you. You can't go into that pool. There would be beautiful clothes that would come into the house and be put into the closets, and Joseph would look, and somebody would say, hey, get your dirty eyes off that. Get your grimy hands off that. You can't have those clothes. They're not for you. They're for the people that matter. You're nobody. All, you, all we want you having access to is the trash can and the barn and cleaning out the stables and stuff. That's what you got access to. Listen to me, please. How do you deal with life when all you have access to is the stuff nobody wants? It's huge because how you treat life then will determine how far up you go. I bet many people who said, hey, I don't like this. This isn't worth me. I'm overtrained for this. I don't have to do this kind of thing. It's ridiculous for me. You know what? Those people seem like they're always stuck at square one. Let me ask you another question. 
How do you deal with it when people say, don't touch that? How do you deal with it when people say, that's not for you? You don't have access to that. I've met people who, when they were told, you can't touch this, you can't have this, you don't have access to this, they spent the rest of their lives in a quest to basically show authority that they could too have it, and they would be bitter the rest of their lives because somebody said, you can't have this, you can't touch this. But let me ask you a question. Why did God give Joseph favor in the first place? Heart. When Joseph got told, you can't touch this, okay, I won't touch it. When he got told, you can't have this, it's not for you, he said, okay, I can't have it, it's not for me. When somebody gave Joseph a rule, he said, okay, I'll just obey it. Just tell me who I answer to, tell me what you like, I'll do it. The heart stayed the same. The world was cruddy. It was a vicious, brutal place to live. Joseph probably didn't have enough to eat. He probably didn't have anything but the worst and coarsest of clothes to wear. Probably not even enough, just probably barely enough to, you know, to cover him and keep him from being indecent. I mean, Joseph had absolutely nothing. He was a slave. But, but, but something was happening inside of Joseph that nobody could see. He had God's favor on him. Can you imagine the hundreds, maybe thousands of people who worked at this place? If you looked at them on paper, there was nothing to single Joseph out. But if you could have seen Joseph through like the heavenly filter, there would have been like something over Joseph's head every place he went. It was kind of like a star or something over him. Why? Because he had God's favor on him. And oh yeah, anytime they sent Joseph to do a job, he came back first class. If they told him to clean the barn, it was clean like it had never been cleaned before. If they told him to dump the trash, he washed the trash cans. And after a while, everybody just started paying attention. This crazy little kid who came from this place that nobody heard of, who didn't know the language, everybody was just amazed. And you know, when you get this guy, Joseph, to do something, it just, wow, he, stuff happens around this kid. And after a while, it began to be the talk all around the campus of this huge estate. That kid, Joseph, man, something's with him. So much so that after a while, Potiphar, the guy who owned it all, he started watching this Hebrew kid, and, and after a while, I think he went up to Joseph and said, Hey, son, let me, let me ask you a question. Uh, just what is it with you? We assign you something, it comes back first class. We turn something over to you, you just do a great job. And I, I believe, because the Bible indicates this, that Joseph said to him, well, Sir, I come from a place, we have a God there who's an all-powerful God, and he's with me. And Potiphar said, I like that. Then they just started giving him access. You know that pool that we didn't want you swimming in? Uh, why don't you take a look, see if you can get that clean for us. And you know what? After the dinner party, there's going to be some good stuff left over that nobody's going to touch. There'll be some chicken stuff over there. Help yourself to that. Uh, you know the stuff we told you to keep your hands off of? Well, actually, we want your hands on it now. And one day, Potiphar, one of the most powerful men of the world, walks over to this little Hebrew kid who's probably not much more than 17 years old. And Potiphar walks over to him and says, Joseph, listen, I've just been watching you. You know what? I, I want you to come to work for me. You're going to get a W-2. You're going to have now, you're going to have some stuff. And uh, you're actually going to be an employee here. And here's the job I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to be my personal assistant. Okay, God followers, you watching what's going on here? This is supremely cool. When Joseph came, he didn't know anything about Egypt. By the time he's 30, God wants him running the country. 
What does he need? He needs some experience. Potiphar says, hey, I just want you to be my shadow here. And all of a sudden, Joseph is going to meetings with Potiphar. He is meeting the most important people in the world. He is watching Egyptian business, culture, economy, society. He's watching the stuff that's messed up that needs to be fixed. He's watching all the waste and the fraud that's going on. He's learning how business is done in Egypt. God has put him access. And Potiphar is saying, hey, Joseph, I mean, just, uh, Joseph, could you deal with this? I mean, he, just, he, becomes, he becomes the chairman of his staff. One day, Joseph goes into the office to work with Potiphar, and when he gets to the office, Potiphar is just there with a whole lot of bills on the desk and a whole lot of stuff, a lot of books that are open, and Potiphar's just like got his head in his hands, and, and he's saying, Joseph, listen, I'll tell you, our, my estate is a mess. Do you realize how many thousands of people I have to feed? Do you realize how much food I have to order in order to feed everybody? Do you realize how many vendors I have to deal with? Joseph, do you realize how I have to like check out everybody's spending habits to make sure nobody's cheating me and all this kind of stuff? It's just driving me nuts. I'm trying to run the military here in Egypt, but I can't even run my own house. It's just this huge mammoth undertaking. Joseph, would it, would it be okay with you if I promoted you to the place where you just ran my entire household? You talking access? You know, they told him, don't use the pool. Now Joseph's deciding who uses the pool. They told him, you know, you can't have that food. Now Joseph's deciding who can have which food. Finally, one day, Potiphar walks into the house and the office there at the place where Joseph's managing. And he says, Joseph, listen, let me just tell you, you're so phenomenal. I just want you to handle everything. I want you to own it, handle everything I own, all my stables, all my crops, all my businesses, all my business interests, all my investments. Joseph, listen, just handle everything for me. All you need to tell me is what, what I'm supposed to eat that day. That's all I want. By the way, let me just talk to any of you who support a leader, especially if you support a leader of, leader of a large organization. You need to be such a great administrator that you can reduce her or his life down to just choices. Joseph took all the worry, he took all the stress, he took all the toughness and the detail and the minutia out of Potiphar's life so that all Potiphar had to worry about was which food he was going to eat that day. I wish I could stop the story right there because it's a beautiful story, isn't it? You're talking about a guy now who dresses well, who has a company car. You're talking about a guy now that basically everybody snaps to when he comes on campus because the man is the dude. He is running everything in Potiphar's house, in Potiphar's estate. But ladies and gentlemen, could I just tell you this? If you have God's favor in your life, not everybody will be happy. It'd be nice if everybody was happy. By the way, isn't it great when you get the blessings of God and somebody comes along and they say, hey, I'm happy for you, and you know they mean it. My dad was in our first two services this weekend, and I don't think I've ever known anybody in my life who's a better example of this. Daddy is happier when somebody else is blessed than when he's blessed. My dad pastored the same church for almost 50 years, and I grew up in that church. I can remember somebody driving up on campus with a brand new car, and my dad would run outside from the church. He'd be so happy for them that they got a brand new car. I used to look at it and think, you didn't get a new car, but dad would be so happy for those people. Somebody get a brand new house in our church, it would just bless Dad. Dad would be all over that. And he's still that way with me. Dad actually enjoys good things happening to me in my ministry, I think, even more than he enjoyed them happening to him. Why? Because he understands favor. He knows the source. 
He's just glad to see God open up the windows of heaven on somebody because what dad understands is that there's always more favor. And he just, he's just crazy that way. And, it's, and by the way, you and I should be too. If somebody gets blessed, you know, if you're driving a Ford and they get a Mercedes, we ought to be happy for them. You know, if you hear about somebody, you know, in your neighborhood or your family that gets, you know, friends, they get a bigger house than you, you be happy for them. Be thankful that they have the big house and the bigger mortgage payment than you have. I mean, just <laughs> enjoy it. But if you have the favor of God, not everybody's going to be happy. Number one, Satan's not going to be happy. You have an enemy. Just like you have a God who loves you, you have an enemy who hates you. And I know I hear all the stuff, you know, every once in a while some skeptic will say to me, well, hey, Mark, you know how you Christians are. You invent a God, so you have to invent, you know, every, everybody knows from philosophy class, everything has to have an opposite and an equal. That's so stupid. I don't know who came up with that. That's got to be one of the dumbest concepts ever known to human beings. It doesn't have to be an opposite. And beyond that, Satan is surely not God's equal. He was an angel that God created. God gave him favor. God gave him access. He had a bad attitude, and he lost it. God kicked him out of heaven. He's a powerful being. He's in the world. He hates God, and he hates anybody who has God's favor on him. And if you have God's favor on you, he's going to hate you. Can he take it away? This is big, because it's a big question, right? Can the devil take your favor away? I want to state this one time unequivocally, no. He cannot take your favor away from you. No other person can take your favor away from you. But here's what Satan does know. He can fake you out of it. He's got 6,000 years of recorded human history of dealing with God's people and faking them out of their favor. Here's the problem. You and I don't tend to understand God's favor. He understands it very clearly, and he knows how it can be lost, and he works it with us. Let's get into his territory today, and let's figure it out so that we won't ever again be blindsided by him. What is the Satan knows that you and I need to know? First off, favor doesn't come from people. Favor comes from God. Look at Joseph. Where did all that favor and access come from? You say, Mark, that was Potiphar's stuff. Not a smidgen of it was Potiphar's stuff. It all belonged to God. Potiphar's house belonged to God. Potiphar's crops belonged to God. Potiphar's herds belonged to God. Potiphar's money belonged to God. Everything that Joseph was handling that he now had access to, it came from God. Everything you get in your paycheck comes from God. You say it comes from the company. I assure you the company wouldn't have it if God didn't want them to have it. Everything in the world belongs to God. If you and I have favor, We need to understand it didn't come from mama, it didn't come from daddy, it didn't come from the business, it didn't come from our shrewd intellect, it didn't come come because we're the most attractive person in the world. Every good thing that happens in our life comes down to us from the hand of God. At some point, God decided to trust us with it. Guys, I'm, I'm one of the dumbest guys you ever met in your life. I'm not a sharp knife. But I've had God's favor poured over me all my life. I get to pastor the greatest church in the world. I'm married to the most wonderful lady in the the world. I had marvelous parents. 
I get, to, I, get to, I get to be your leader. I get to work with all the cool things that God is doing at New Spring Church. I have a dream team for us staff. I, I get to work with the best friends that I have in the world. I have, I, you talk about somebody who is just like, hey, God, just pour, I'm just an ordinary guy without a lot of smarts. God has just poured his favor on me over and over and over in my life, and I'm, I'm so undeserving of it all. But let me tell you, this is one thing that I stand understanding of, and that is the fact that God has trusted me with these things. God didn't pour out his favor on Mark so that I could be a consumer of his blessings. God poured out his favor on me so that I could accomplish something in the world. And I realized something. All these wonderful gifts that I have, all these wonderful blessings that I have, and it's the same for you because I think you could tell your story a favor today too. But what we need to understand, all that we have, we have because God trusted, trusted us. And here's what the enemy knows that you and I need to understand is the only way we can lose God's favor is to betray his trust. I didn't mean to say this today, and my message isn't about, this is the number one reason why I tithe. Sure, I know God says if I give him the tenth, he'll bless me. I I believe that. It's true. It works. I, I tithe. I was taught to tithe, and that's true. But the number one reason why I tithe, just keeping it real here, is because I don't want to take God's financial blessings and then turn around and use those blessings against him and not bring him what's his. See, here's the thing. The only thing that can cause me to lose God's favor, which is based on his trust, is if I betray his trust. After God puts his trust in me, if I flip him off and walk away, if I don't do what what I should do, then I can lose that. Here's what a lot of us think. I'm going to use a word. Let's see what you think. The word is sin. You know what a lot of us think the moment we hear sin? Oh, sin is bad stuff. If I sin, God will punish me. There's an element of truth there. Truth there. But it's not the most salient truth for those of us who are God followers. See, here's the thing. A lot of us have the idea, whoa, sin is, sin is fun. I mean, you know, all the stuff that's bad, that's the stuff that's fun. God doesn't want me to have fun. He will slap my hand if I touch that. No, no, no. What we need to understand is, look, there's a reason why sin is attractive. But what's at stake is the favor of God on our lives. If we betray the trust, we will lose the favor. James talks about this. James is a brother of Jesus, and he talks about this in James chapter 1, verse 13. I want you just to read this with me. The Bible says, remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God, God's never tempted to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Temptation has two stages to it. The solicitation to sin. It's got two aspects to it. Every bass fisherman here today, every man, every woman who's a bass fisherman, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. First of all, there's the enticement phase. Enticement looks good. You know, you, you, those of you who like, you like to fish, you work with baits, you know, you're working with, with plastic worms, you're working with lures or whatever, you know what it's like. You put something out there in the water, theoretically it's attractive to the fish, and you work the bait, you know. And fish swims along. Fish said, ooh, that's enticing. That's good. That's going to be good for me. That's a meal. See, that's the first part of temptation. Satan will put something in your water because what's at, what's at stake here is your favor. Satan will put something out there that will cause you to say, oh, a meal, this is good. It's enticing. It's good for me. 
There's the enticement, and then James says, there's the dragging away. Several times I've gotten, many times through the years, I've gotten my fingers stuck on a treble hook trying to put it on my line. And, of course, I just got poked with it. I, didn't, I don't, never really got it all that much into my skin. But, boy, I've learned to be careful with those things. And I've always wondered, what does it feel like to a fish? Because fish are swimming along out there, you know. Everything's fine. Everything's cool. Put the bait out there in the water. Start working it. The fish says, oh, there's a meal. He goes after it. Mm, set the hook. And the fish wants to swim away, but he can't unless he's on my line. But if the, the fish <laughs> he wants to get away, but he can't. He's going to be dragged away. And James said, that's the kind of thing that happens to us. Satan will put something in the water. Ooh, wow, she's hot. Wow, you know, he's, he understands me. My husband doesn't understand me, but he understands me. Oh, you know what? I, I, I oversee all these financial things here. If I wrote a check out to cash and cashed it and just put it in, nobody would know that I took the money. Or you know what? I, I really had too many drinks and... And, I, and I'm going to get in my car, but I think I'd be okay. I think I'm going to be fine. Or, you know, I've never tried meth before. <clears throat> James went on to say this, and I'm going to read out the message in verse 15. Lust gets pregnant. Lust is desire. Lust gets pregnant, has a baby, sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. Well, what is it that sin kills? Sin kills favor. What happens is, you know, Satan knows how to, how, to, how to entice us, and he puts something that looks good, but then he sets the hook, and then here we are. We don't have the favor of God anymore because we had a tipping point in our life, and we didn't know it was a tipping point. All we knew was, hey, I'm being tempted, and that looks good, and it looks like fun. What, what's, what we don't realize is that what's at stake is the favor and the blessing of God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us anymore. It's just that we're not going to go to the places that God intended for us to go. Joseph is about to have one of those moments. On this huge estate that Joseph manages is a woman. She is the wife of Potiphar. And she sees how attractive Joseph is. And she knows he has favor on his life. And she starts chasing him. Maybe it was a little harmless flirtation at first. Maybe it's just a look. Maybe just a few comments about Joseph's physique. But after a long, there was no denying what was going on. She wanted Joseph to go to bed with her. And she asked him to, and he said no. Here's what's really cool. Guys, I wish I knew how to preach because this is just really so, so important. Because so many of us, when we're tempted to sin, it's like, wow, if I do that, God's going to hit me. What we don't see is what Joseph saw. Because this Potiphar's wife, I mean, I don't know what she looked like. I'm assuming she was really something to look at because, you know, wealthy, rich guys like Potiphar today, as back in those days, they tended to marry arm candy. And, and I'm sure that, you know, she was really something to look at. And, you know, she was, you know, sophisticated and hot and all these kinds of things. Joseph didn't say to her that she wasn't attractive. And he didn't say he didn't want to go to bed with her. I mean, nothing in the text where Joseph says, you know what, Mrs. Potiphar, you're really just not my type. Listen to what he says. He said to her, I have access to all these things in the house. My boss, your husband, 
has given me access to everything in the barns and everything in the house and everything in the kitchen and everything in the financial end. Your husband has given me access to all these things, but I don't have access to you. Do you know the difference between what you do have access to and what you don't have access to? You do not have access to someone you're not married to. If you're married, you do and should have access to each other. You don't have access to somebody you're not married to. You say, I'm in the dating scene. You just don't know the difference yet. You don't have access to money that is not yours. You don't have access to credit that you've not earned. And Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, you may be a tender muffin, but I don't have access to you. I do have access to all this other stuff. And, and here's the deal. Joseph was saying, this is so big. I wish I could get it. I wish all of us could get it. Joseph was saying, if I take something I don't have access to, I'm going to lose everything I do have access to. And I don't care how attractive you are. He was saying to her, you're just not worth it. Man, listen, guys, I've been pastoring for 32 years. I've been on the wrong side of this story so many times because I've been talking to people. It's too late. They've already fallen. I would love so much to just talk to thousands of people as I am this weekend. On this side of things, you haven't fallen yet. I would love to just talk to you and say whatever it is that you're being tempted to do, just look it in the face and say you're not worth it. I can't afford to lose my favor. If I take something I don't have access to, I'll lose all the things I do have access to. Hey, wasn't that the same battle with Adam and Eve? God said to Eve and Adam, you can have all the fruit in the garden. There's just one tree that you don't have access to. But what did our first parents do? How did they screw it up? They took something they didn't have access to, and they lost all the stuff that they did have access to. I'm pleading. I just get the feeling. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm really in overtime already. But I get the feeling I'm talking to some husbands and wives today, and you're about six inches or even maybe less than that. Maybe you're just a few centimeters from crossing the line and losing everything that is valuable to you. You're about to lose everything that's worthwhile to you because you're about to try to take something that you don't have access to and which you don't understand. You say, wow, it would be so good. It would be so right. It would be so wrong because what would happen is you would lose all the things that God has given you access to. The only way to lose favor is to betray a trust. You have favor because God trusts you. You betray the trust, he'll withdraw the favor. I can't afford that. I love his favor too much. You know what David said? He said, your favor is better than life. David said, I'd rather have your favor than have more years. In effect, what David was saying, and he learned it the hard way, he was saying, I don't want to have a day of my life without your favor. And I hope you feel that way too. And I hope and I pray that God's Holy Spirit has flipped our lights on. Oh yeah, I I read the rest of the story. You say, well, Mark, it didn't work too well for him, did he? Did he? And he told, he, he, he didn't sleep with the gal, but the gal claimed she tr- he tried to rape her and he wound up in prison? Yeah, but which prison? You saw it? Where the king's prisoners were. Had Joseph not had this thing in his life, he'd have been capped. He would have reached the ceiling at Potiphar's house. That would have been as far as he was going. But now God has repositioned him. God has put him in the prison. In just a short time, 
two of the king's servants are going to tick him off, and it's going to involve a dream, and they're going to go down to the prison, and they're not going to know how to figure it out, and Joseph's going to figure it out for them. And in, in, you know, in a little while later, the king is going to have a problem, and, and one of the servants is going to say, there's a guy down there in the prison. He's a smart guy, and he's got it all figured out. And the king is going to bring Joseph out of prison. Joseph is going to show him how to set the world up. And at the age of 30, he's going to be running the world. See, he had to be at the prison to be at the right place at the right time. I'm talking to some of you, and you say, well, Mark, I've tried to do the right thing, but it hasn't worked out well for me. Listen, God is just repositioning you. You say, Mark, I wanted my marriage to work, and I did everything I could, but my husband walked out anyway. Well, let him go. God is going to reposition you. You say, well, Mark, my career dried up and blew away, but God is repositioning you just like he repositioned Joseph. And at his moment, he will bring you to a place of full destiny because, see, God has found something inside of you that he likes, and he wants to pour out his favor and his blessing on you. We'll stop here. We'll pick it up next weekend. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you've taught us by your word. And Lord, I pray for any of us here today who could be wrestling with a kind of temptation and we could even lose our favor if we take a wrong move. Father, I pray that you'll help us to obey and to be faithful with things that you've trusted us with so that we can have those divine tipping points that lead us on to our full destiny. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you still pray with me for a moment? We've talked about favor today. The greatest favor is a total gift of God, and anyone may have it. The greatest favor is having Christ in your life. The Bible says Jesus came into our world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And as he did, he offers you a gift, the greatest gift you could ever be offered. Part of that gift is forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future. Part of that gift is a relationship with God in which God will never go away from you. And eternal life. (laughs) That's huge. And you and I can't earn it, so God put it on the basis of a gift. Jesus earned it by dying on the cross. And Scripture says over and over, if we will just believe God's Word and personally invite Christ into our lives, that we can have all those wonderful gifts. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, or perhaps you just finally understood what it all means, I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you, if you want to pray with me, you can pray from your heart. And these aren't magic words, because remember, God looks on the heart. If you're ready to invite Christ into your life, I want to encourage you to pray with me. And uh, you can repeat these words after me. Like I say, the important thing is that you mean them from your heart. So here we go. Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. And I betrayed your trust. But I believe you died to pay for my sin. I ask you to forgive me, and save me, and make me God's child. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that happened so quickly, but it was the most important thing you ever did in your life. And because it's so important, I've prepared a gift. It won't cost you anything. I mean, it's totally free. And even if you say, well, Mark, I may never come back to New Spring. Totally free. We, just, we want you to know Jesus. And all that's in this packet is some DVDs and some great information about what it means to follow Jesus and the decision that you just made. Totally free. When you came in today, you got a worship folder. Part of that worship folder is detachable. If you would just uh, take, it, take a few moments, and uh, if you just pray with me to receive Christ, you can see there's a little picture of the, of the packet that I just showed you. 
You can put your name and address on there and just check the box that says you prayed to receive Christ. You can detach the card, drop it in the offering bags or in the boxes at the back, and I'll mail it to you this week. If it's got an address on there, I'll mail it to you. I know we're crowded at 11 o'clock, but if you have just a few extra minutes and you want to take this with you today, if you just prayed to receive Christ, we want you to have it. I'm going to point right through those middle doors, right beyond those two doors or two, doors or two zones called guest services and New Spring Store. If you just pray with me to receive Christ, you can just bring your card back. And you don't have to say anything. They won't stalk you or anything. All you got to do is just say, hey, I pray with Mark and give them the card and they'll give you this and take it home with you. Guys, I am so pumped. I love this series on Joseph because we're learning how favor works and we're going we're gonna to go to a whole another level next week. So I'm glad you're here. And once again, happy Father's Day.